Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's November 12, 2021. You're listening to the longest-running, the greatest PokerCast on the planet. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. Scott Long sounds like he's, uh, where are you? You you sound like you're in a can somewhere in the closet of the basement of some place in Ohio or something. Uh, Yeah, I'm hanging out with Prince Albert, so if you want to call and (laughs) let me out, that'd be great. I love those calls. When I worked at the bowling alley, I used to run the front desk, we'd get calls all the time. Hey, uh, do you guys have 16-pound balls? And I'd say, yeah. And he'd go, how do you walk? (laughs) And then they'd hang up on me. You know, you got to love those crank calls, man. I'm going to call Maple Lanes when we get done to do that. Yeah, so. you got to call. There are other ones, too, but I can't repeat them on air. <laughs> or whatever you want to call this. Yeah, well, I feel bad. I forgot to open my beer before. Ah, there you go. See, mine's already open. Mine's, But mine's Beer of the Root. Beer of the Root. Yeah. I like it. I'm sure yours is Beer of the Pabst. Yeah, yeah, mine's a little stronger than yours. Yeah. <laughs> hey, mine's... You know, a- hey, it's 945. You got to get the day started. So That's right. You got to do it somehow. So. All right, let's get going with the World Series here. All right, only two more uh, World Series bracelets will be handed out this year, and here are this week's updates. Uh, Dan Cates won Event 60 of the 50K Players Championship and will have his name engraved on the Chick- Chip Reese Memorial Trophy. The final table included Paul Volt, Ali Lezra, and Josh Ari. Cole Ferraro won Event 61, the $600 Deep Stack Championship after coming in second in Event 22. He, Phil Helmuth, and Ryan Lang are the only players to have a first and second this series, but Ferraro is the youngest of the three. Kevin Gerhardt won event 62, though 1500 PLO 8 for his fourth career bra- bracelet and second this series. Ooh. Uh, Georgia Sabadabadasha won event 65. <laughs> Come on. Sotrio Polis? No, Georgius Sotaropolis. Soder. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. That's what they are. <laughs> that was, that was absolutely terrible. After me. Yeah, all right. Anyhow, that dude won event 65. <laughs> The one K mini main event for his third career bracelet. Josh Aria won event 66, the 10K PLO8 championship for his fourth career bracelet and second this series. The win came just two days after he just missed another final table. He would go on to finish fourth, had a fourth place finish to his World Series poker resume this year. A couple days later, an online event number seven, the $3,200 high roller. The Rio's Convention Center was locked down for about an hour during day one of the main event after Las Vegas police chased a suspect. Uh, to the Rio parking lot, police fear that there was a quote-unquote sp- suspicious item in the suspect's car. Hmm. And this year's main event drew 6,360 entrants. With day two flights already starting, ship leader is Rami Shahid. And notable names who are still alive include Doyle Brunson, Billy Baxter, Tom McAvoy, Mike Matisau, Justin Bonomo, Josh Arier, Dennis Phillips, Eric Seidel, Scott Bloomstein, Joe Hashem, Fedor Hulse, Scotty Wynn, 
Michael Mizraki, Chris Moneymaker, and Bill Hillmuth dressed as Gandalf the White, as you corrected. <laughs> oh, my goodness. There's so much to talk about. First of all, is the chip leader our cruise uh, poker manager? I, I, is that who that is? Um, yeah, my, my dad always calls him Ramez. I know that. I'm like, you mean Ramsey? You mean Ramsey? Yeah, Ramez. Yeah, I and uh, let's see, Tom McAvoy, he uh, got handsy with my wife while he was drunk on a ship uh, in West Palm Beach once. Uh, let's see, who else can we nice. make fun of here? Doyle Brunson, although you spelled it Dole-Yi. Oh, I did? That's awesome. Dole-Yi. Um, very good. Uh, lots of big names. Lots of great stories. And a lot of things are confirmed here for us. Didn't we predict 6,000 for the main event? We, we were at, uh, I believe one of us was 59.99, one was 59.98 or something like that. Oh, it was so like right, 6,001, right. as I think we said. So then it was, yeah. we said, average. Right. so we were right there at 6,000. So we were only a few hundred off, which is fantastic. That was a great guess on our part. I feel good, pat, 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 pat on my shoulder. <laughs> uh, the other thing that we talked about, too, and I think you agreed with me or I agree with you, but we talked about how we felt this was absolutely going to be the year of the pros. And this just confirms it. Now, I realize there's a bunch of other events that you don't list, and you put the highlights on here. But how many times have people now won two in one World Series? Usually it happens once a year if we're lucky. We have multiple people doing it. And we have multiple final tables from these guys and multiple wins. And a lot of big names are winning events. It's, it's exactly what we thought, that it was going to be a boiled-down version of the World Series and pros were going to dominate. And I think they are. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the funnier tweets was Josh R.A. saying that he has to win the main event to uh, get out of debt. After <laughs> <laughs> he's won all these other events. So. That's funny. Uh, but yeah, yeah. So yeah, a lot of, uh, as you mentioned, I think it was at least three, maybe four double bracelet winners this year. Crazy. Um, and then so many people added to their, you know, their fourth or fifth or third uh, career bracelet. So absolutely, yeah, definitely a year of the pro that that part came came true. Um uh, interestingly, in, in the main event, as I was watching these the, the, the flights, um, a good it looks like seventy five percent, between seventy seventy five percent of entrants made it to day two. So, not taking anything away from those names we just mentioned, or any of our listeners who made it to day two, or anybody that made it to day two, but uh, not as tough as you might have thought. Yeah, uh, yeah. well, normally they well. get get farther down so but uh but but good for everybody that's still in so pretty phenomenal and really the only big name that i saw i mean i'm sure there were other ones but the only one noted that uh, is out is danny negrani who uh got booted in uh, level two i think so which is always rough for these pros obviously right because you can't uh, go fire another bullet so exactly your world series is done and you gotta wait for next year so that's always very difficult so but uh but most of the looks like most of the big names moved on now various uh, shifts. And of course, Helmut was doing his uh, show up at dinner break. He played two hours and ran his 60K starting stack up to 93 and moved on. So good day at the office for him. Short day at the office for him. What a remarkable like last half of the World Series for Josh Aria, too. I mean, right. wow. You know, they call him Atlanta Josh. And uh, it's just it's phenomenal how well he's playing. And um, it's like a, what do you, like, a, I don't know, just like a, phoenix rising from the ashes because he hadn't heard anything from this guy in a decade now all of a sudden boom he's just going crazy and um so did you happen to catch wind of the player of the year stuff like who needs oh, to do you what? Know what? I, I did not check that out so uh, i'm very curious because like you said there's these three guys who have a first and a second rea's got all this stuff going on now two bracelets and other caches and another final table and he made the main event day two as did you know, Phil Helmuth and stuff. So I'm just very curious 
to see like who has to do what to win it, you know, or whatever. Yeah, I wonder where the uh, the player of the year. Oh, here it is. All right, hold on. All right, so I'll fill, I'll fill the I'll fill the dead <laughs> air while you're looking it up here. Uh, Josh Aria is in first now. Yep. With three thousand one hundred and ten point nine one points, uh, Phil Hometh is seventh. Holy cow! Yeah, Anthony Zeno is uh, third, and Jake Schwartz, who uh, I'm assuming he must have won an event. I don't remember talking about it on the show. He's second with twenty seven fifty eight. So um, I don't know what the actual points are for the main event and the um, the the one drop, which were the last two events, uh, to know what you have to do there, but. Um, I would imagine there's a lot of points available in the main event. So. Yeah, but seventh place, he dropped far. Yeah. We yeah. thought well, he was running know, away with it. They don't value final tables there, Chris. That's the problem. So. Holy cow. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> oh, actually, there's a little calculator here. So hold on. Uh, more drum roll. Uh, we'll figure out what the, uh, the main event's going to. Oh, yeah, cool. Uh, I can find where the main event is there. So I wonder uh, what the suspicious item was in this guy's car. While you're looking for it, I'll try to fill this dead air here. Um, but uh, that's interesting. Remember the last time the main event was shut down or, or when I was playing in the, the my event and they shut it down because they couldn't find my chips and they had to go to the eye in the sky? And yeah. The guy told me I was SOL. At least I have that story, you know. It cost me 1500 bucks, but... <laughs> yeah, that's the story there. It's worth it. All right, the winner of the main event will get 1,655 points. So, yeah. uh, literally, like, top 15 or so, no, top 20. Could be player of the so year. The top, 20, wow. top 20 are still alive for, for player of the year. Wow. Wow. How you do. So, yeah, that'll be interesting to watch. So, um, yeah. All right, cool. Yeah, I just wasn't sure. Usually, that's like kind of like the big thing that gets brought up right when the main event starts is like who has to do what to win. So um, since Josh Aria made it, really all he has to do is just stay even or ahead of the people behind him in this event, and he's got it wrapped up. Yeah, and that's assuming that he doesn't cash. I mean, if he cashes, um, he gets points as well, too, to add yeah. to his total. So it's yeah. more, than the six, uh, more than whatever you need to, to catch up to him. So Crazy. Yeah. He's probably going to be. He's probably going to win it. That's cool. Well, good. That's a good update. And so we'll have one update left, I think, next Will it be over by next week or not? No, it won't be over by next week. So All right, so we'll have another update after that. Yeah, two more weeks of uh, lazy uh, podcasting. Excellent. <laughs> then we have to get back to finding real news. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Zach Gensler has broken Phil Locke's Guinness World Record for the longest session of poker, lasting 124 hours. Besting Locke's record of 115 that he that held for 11 years. Seemed like yesterday he broke I that. know, it does. Uh, Gensler completed the feat at Resorts World in Las Vegas, only taking breaks as prescribed by Guinness for his own health. While uh, Locke booked a win in his marathon session, Gensler lost $1,200. I got to tell you, uh, uh, why? I, I just don't, <laughs> I don't understand. I couldn't do something I absolutely loved for 124 hours. I couldn't even sleep for 124 yeah. hours. <laughs> why, why Why are they doing this? And on top of it, he lost money doing it. Okay, congratulations. Your name is in a book. Now, doing world records and things like that, the way you did it with your town, that means something to me. That's like raising money for charity or calling awareness to a wonderful city, you know, uh, stuff like that, bringing community together. That's something that's like, hey, this is pretty cool. But to just sit there at a poker table in a casino for 124 hours playing poker, uh, come on. 
yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, I can't imagine anything that I, I would want to do for 124 hours. Um, you know, uh, especially if I'm James James Franco, wasn't that? The, 127 hours. Yeah, or he's yeah. stuck in the crevice or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although I'd probably have a better chance of staying awake in that situation than I would at the Pope of I pulled him the Pope of three hours. So. You know how they say uh, like uh, poker is like, uh, you know, it's like 80% sheer boredom and 20%, you know, whatever it is, 90%. Yeah. You know, this poor guy, I mean, even those 124 hours, he's still what, you know, it's got 10 hours of sheer terror ahead of him. But I don't think that's enough to keep me awake for 124 hours. I, I, I just uh, I can't yeah. get it. I just don't get it. Well, yeah, and uh, I mean, I think it's definitely more impressive that Phil Locke went 115 hours and actually booked a win. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The fact that this guy only lost 12. I don't know what the stakes were. The, the article didn't mention what the stakes were, but um, uh, the, the fact that he only lost 1,200. I mean, I can lose 1,200 an hour. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. I just made horrible at it uh, and i assume it, i gotta assume it's no limit uh but yeah. it's limited story but uh but still um but you know the, he mentioned like one he didn't want to take any breaks he didn't want to i mean i have to probably run to the to little boys room every once in a while but he didn't want to sleep at all or uh but guinness made him to take these breaks and he insisted that they not be any longer than 15 minutes i think so he was never gone for more than 15 minutes that's Which is insane. impressive as well, too, right? Insane. And how do you, like, train for something like this? Do you say, okay, for the next, you know, week, I'm going to just not go to sleep and play online? or something? You know, I mean, did he train for this? Or did you say, you know what, I, I could do this and just did it raw? I mean, it's crazy. It's just absolutely crazy. And again, for what? So that we talk about him on our show? Yeah, that and 50 Cent still won't get you anything at Starbucks. <laughs> yeah, I don't, and I don't know. I mean, the article didn't mention him. He was doing it for some... some higher reason which which makes it different in my book but i mean again he could do whatever he want but yeah it would be it, it's it's just pressing your body i mean in one sense uh i i have respect for people that want to try to push their body to the, to the limit just to see what they're capable of mm-hmm. um but as someone who tried to eat uh 10, 000 calories in a single day i will tell you i felt like crap <laughs> that night and the whole next day <laughs> And uh, really, it's like you know, I'm not pushing my body. I'm I'm killing my body. This is stupid. Why did I even think about doing this? And uh, I mean, there were times in this where he 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 said he I was talking to a buddy about the South Point poker room, and he thought he was literally in the South Point poker room. Oh wow! Because uh, he was so delirious from from lack of sleep, wow. which is even more impressive that you know he didn't lose more than twelve hundred. You don't even know where you are. How are you playing poker? I'm like, that's so amazing. Uh, but obviously, clearly not not healthy uh, for your body to try this. But. Well, long-time listeners of the show, and I don't think you can get these episodes anymore, but would remember when we used to have you know Mike Lance Faso on the show. Yes. And he told us that awesome story when he tried to make a living of playing poker out in Vegas, and he played this long session. It was so long that he was absolutely delusional, had no idea where he was, and they literally <clears throat> picked him out of the chair and threw him out of the building and said, just go home and get some sleep. You know, and that was that was only like a you know maybe a thirty hour session or a twenty four hour session or something. It wasn't one hundred and twenty four hours. You know, it's crazy. So I can imagine you're not making good decisions. And I wonder if like Phil Locks, we booked a win, but like if he had a massive win early on and yeah. coasted, or if he was making great decisions at the end when he's like, screw it, I got to get some sleep. Yeah, I. I uh... Yeah, I, I can't imagine either of the people were making good decisions at the end. <laughs> yeah, I agree. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I mean, really, your body's not meant to stay up for 124 hours no. or 115 hours and, and do something 
that it makes your minds have to really work hard. So yeah, crazy. But hey, congratulations! I hey, you know what? I'm grateful he did that, so we had something to talk about on the show. <laughs> Thanks for putting in a 124 hour work week, so we could talk about you for 10 minutes. Much appreciated. <laughs> okay, we got any updates? Uh, Papes, the Annie Up fans' free online tournament series on PokerStars Play Money site, is available everywhere. Details on how to join can be found at bit.ly slash P-A-I-P-S. Games are on the 6th, 16th, and 26th of every month and rotate disciplines with a main tournament followed by a second chance event. PokerStars lets you claim 15,000 free chips every four hours, so you'll have plenty to, to join and play. Join the Annie Up fans' group Facebook page and post within the group to get feedback on hands, ask call-the-floor questions, or just discuss anything poker. Check out our 11 vintage Andy Up logo designs on merchandise at andyupmagazine.com slash shop. You can buy t-shirts, hoodies, sweatshirts, phone and laptop cases, coffee and drink mugs, and much more with your choice of Andy Up Magazine, Andy Up PokerCast, or Andy Up Tour logos. If you have a hand of the week, a listener spotlight, or a call-the-floor submission, email us at podcast at andyupmagazine.com or post in the Annie Up Fans group on Facebook. Each week we spotlight a listener who emails us at podcast at andyupmagazine.com. And if they haven't won something from us in the past year, just like we do with Call the Floor and Hand of the Week, we send them something cool. Our good friend Brandon Huff is back on the show. He says, uh, in this hand, did I handle the table talk right? As a rule, I don't say anything during a hand. But I did this one on this one, and I'm not sure if my replies were neutral enough to not give off any hints about my hand. I was dealt ace-queen in the small blind. I flopped Broadway, and the turn put a second king on the board. The big blind bet $175, and I raised all in for 117 more. Big blind starts thinking and mutters about sets and the board pairing and seems real uncomfortable. He then asks, you want a call? I reply, up to you. He shows a king. I don't react at all. He says, you are putting me in a real tough spot. I replied, then I'm doing my job right. He shows an ace. I again don't react at all. He thinks for a while more and eventually he calls. I table my straight and he groans. So one thing I'll say quickly was, do you remember Annette Oberstad? He was uh, our friend John, who's, who's now gone, but he was he was favorite player of all time, and he used to say she was going to be the greatest of all time. And when we, you and I, went to the Vegas for that academy, right, to yep. cover it for the show, or for the we did it for the show and for the blog and everything to see what it was like to go to one of these things. She was at my table, and I had gone all in on her, and she asked me that very same question. She says, "You want a call?" And I looked at her and I says, "I never know how to answer that." And she just looked at me, and she called, and I doubled through her. So up to you is pretty similar, I think. I think that's kind of the same vein, you know. What am I supposed to say there? You want to call, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's yeah, okay. it's weird. The more the more confident you are, the more it seems like you don't want to call. But if they read it r- right, and you do want to call, you know, I mean, it's it's tough to really come up with the right answer there. So I don't. I think the second time you said something, when you said, I'm doing my job right, that shocked me that he called after that. I thought for sure when he heard that, he would have folded. I, I would think that you were doubly confident, doubly you know, spot on with your reply. I, for, for, for one, if I had heard that, I might have folded. And he called. So you did the right thing, obviously. I think you did table talk right because you got your call. So I don't know what really 
what to argue with here, but but um, to me, I thought they would have folded, and they didn't. So that's good for you. Yeah, the one point I made with him is it's not always what you say, but how you say it. Uh, yeah. That you know, for the people that really try to get you talking at the table, they're not just listening to what you say, but they're really looking at how you react and how you how you say what you're saying, what your eyes do, and stuff like that. That's that's the idea of table talk is to get you out of your comfort zone in multiple ways. So, um, so you know, I I didn't think his his responses would sway one way or the other. I think he made a point of how maybe the second one maybe did, but to me, I don't think those mattered so much what what he said but but as i told him I'm, i wasn't there so i can't see how he said it right yeah, yeah. so uh but again as you said i mean he got the call so i mean it, it went well <laughs> so i mean whatever he was doing it went well in this particular situation uh that being said though i do agree with his rule i just i prefer not to say anything um, and that's a confidence thing for me um i i'm not confident in uh, talking uh, or being talked to in the middle of a hand, especially a you know a big hand, um, you know if it's a, from my tournament life or something like that, I'm quite happy just sitting there stoically and staring down at the table and waiting for somebody to and, make their decision. And that's the most effective way to do it because you automatically, no matter what, turn your odds to fifty fifty. You know, yep. you're not hurting yourself and you're not helping yourself. It's relying on them, and a lot of times too, I think the call or the fold comes from the the opponent already making up their mind what it means when someone doesn't say anything. They they are already predisposed when they get into that poker room, they know in the back of their minds when someone doesn't say anything in their mind it means they have it and they're folded. Yep. Or it means they're bluffing and they're you know or whatever. And of course if they call on the bluff and they get the bluff, it'll only reinsure it. You know, it's like confirmation bias. But if it doesn't it might make them kind of reguess what they're or rethink it. But to me, I always do the same thing. I put my hands, I make that little, what is it, Joe used to call the pyramid or whatever yeah. you call it, right? And you put the rope in your mouth and I just stare at the felt and I don't say anything. You know, let's start home game and I know I can get under your skin or something. I might say something. But other than that, in a real situation out in the casino and I don't know these people, I don't say a word. But again, that goes to what I'm saying, the confidence, right? Yeah. So, you know, the more you know the players at the table, the more confident you are that you can have that conversation with them or respond to them. Um, then that's a different story for me. But uh, yeah, you're right. When it when it's a complete stranger in a poker room, I I do not have the confidence to to to, to talk or to be talked to. So I agree. I agree. All right. So you know what? We have no O'Malley's move this week. Uh, we pulled a, an audible, and um, of course our our audio is terrible this week for some reason. We don't know why, but. Uh, we pulled an audible and recorded a day early, and uh, O'Malley hasn't sent us his move yet, so we're going to give him the week off, and we're just going to move on to our hand of the week. It's time for the Manspokertrading.com hand of the week. Send your hands or situations podcast at antiupmagazine.com. If you haven't something, won something from us in the past year, get a free membership to Advanced Poker Training, the world's number one poker training site. And uh, this is the fourth uh, final hand, uh, four hands from John Urban. They've all been fantastic so far, so no pressure as we go into the last one to keep us going. And if you've been following along the last couple of weeks, uh, he's been playing a 1-3 no limit in a Maryland casino. Cool. This hand, he starts with 640 Skittles. Uh, the villain in this hand is in the small blind and has us covered. Uh, he says this player was pretty inexperienced and tended to overvalue his hands. I've been active and aggressive the last couple orbits, and it seemed like it was starting to tilt him. Uh, Bolt to the cutoff, who is a loose passive player who likes to see flops and play fitter fold, 
who limps, and I'm on the button with four four. Oh, limp. Right? right. I would limp. I mean, why not limp? Right. Yep. You know, set mine, whatever. I mean, again, a lot of this stuff. You know, we're we're still. You know, we're not advanced poker players. We're not pros or anything like that. And everybody knows that. Um, the stuff that we talk about on this show is generally, uh, this is how you would take this situation and play it normally. But if we know, like, if the guy limps and you're looking to get aggressive and you're looking to play the people, like the which people. is what you usually do in No Limit Hold'em, then, you know, this is the type of hand where it doesn't matter what your cards are because you're on the button. So you could raise and then represent. You could raise and re-raise later and all that stuff. So it's up to you. But if you're playing, if you're just saying, I have 4-4, four, four, what would you do with 4-4? Four, four? We'd limp. But if you're saying, I'm a very good player, I'm aggressive, and I'm on the button, and I got a limper who's passive and the cutoff, and I got blinds behind me that don't defend their blinds, then I'd say it doesn't matter what your two cards are. You can be aggressive in this situation. Just raise yep. and hope for a one-caller and hope for a check on the flop and do a C-bet and take down an extra $15, $20. So it just depends on what the situation is and the people around you. Generally, when you have 4-4, four, four, if it's not a crazy table, you're looking to limp, set mine, hope they hit top pair when you hit your set, and get some money. That's what we're looking for here. So I'm saying limp. Yeah, again, I'm a tournament player. So in the tournament here, I'm, I'm going to raise with this because I only have one limper who, again, has been described as uh, passive, and if he doesn't hit his flop, he's out. Um, so this is a good chance for me to pick up some blinds. But again, this is what I say. I don't play cash games, so there's, there's not that urgency to pick up blinds in a cash game. So... Um, so it seems to me like it makes more sense to limp here and, and set mine. You'll get more value out of this hand than, than raising and, and taking down uh, seven bucks, right? Right. So um, cash game, I think I'm definitely limping here and hoping for a big flop. And if not, if it's not a big flop, I'm still in position, so there's lots of ways I can win this hand later on when the pot does get big enough that I feel like it's time to take it down, right? Yeah. All right, our hero says, in, uh, in position against fitter full players, I love to isolate and see bet. I don't need much excuse for a hand, and 4-4 four, four is perfect. I have the option to check it down and win often enough or bluff with it as needed. And, of course, hit a set from time to time, I raise to 15. All right, so he's using the strategy I would for tournaments. So, um, you know, I guess it depends on whether – I mean, really, at this point, I think you need a caller to make this profitable, don't you? Yeah. You know, I don't think that's $7 – um, for the blinds and the limper are, are worth the raise, but um, I think you'd want one collar. And he's right; he's trying to isolate. So yeah, if you get this fit or fold guy, then you pick up fifteen on top of that, fifteen more on top of that. I don't know. Maybe it works. We'll see. All right, uh, the small blind three bets to forty five dollars, and the cutoff folds, and it's back to us. Uh, this is what I'm talking about. Now, I mean, at least we'll have position on this person, and again. What would a what would a small blind do, or what 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 hand would it take for a small blind to do this? You know, it, I don't think it's going to be something like ace something. jack or ace queen or something. I mean, this sounds like this guy uh, is confident enough to play this hand out of position, and he has a razor and a collar, a, a razor and then a, a limper still yet to act behind him. After that, uh, to me, this person has a pretty decent hand. And I think we're going to have to hit a set to be confident to be able to play back at this person. So yeah. to me, I'm folding, you know, and I would have just limped. Now, think about that. Now, I know hindsight, you know, all that crap. But yeah. 
if you think about it, if we had limped for two or three, and then this guy makes it nine, ten, twelve, we're comfortable calling twelve and set mining and trying to bust this guy. But now yeah. you got to bet forty-five and have to hit that one and eight shot or whatever. So, to me, I, I think this was a mistake to, to raise preflop, and now to call again would probably be a mistake. Now, it, 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 he may hit his one and eight shot and get the guy stacked, but unless I'm really flush with cash, you know. And, and I'm really confident that this guy doesn't handle pressure very well from a button player, and I'm a, I have the ability to do it, I'm laying it down for the and say, ah, oh, I lost 15 bucks for nothing. Yeah, so, I mean, the, the psychology of this you have to consider as well, too. So he's been described as um, a player that uh, uh, we've been active, aggressive. We, we, we're tilting this guy now, right? So mm-hmm. so that, that, that adds into the decision-making here now because now you could probably call us 45 and be aggressive on a flop. Like, say, for example, an ace comes on the flop, and let's assume he, he has kings or something. There's lots of things that you can do in that way if you've got him tilting that he's probably going to fold because he's scared. Of, he's tired of getting his ass kicked by you, right? So, right, right. So that, that, that's a consideration as well, too. But I think without that without a, that extra information, uh, I'm definitely folding and saving my 30 bucks here. Um, this hand-to-hand combat is, is not my strong suit. Okay. All right, pot's $90, and the flop is the Queen of Diamonds, Nine of Clubs, Tray of Diamonds, and our opponent checks to us. Wow, the opponent checks to us. That's crazy. So what does he have, like 10-10, jack-jack, or did he hit a set? To me, I don't mind checking behind. I don't care. Hey, I got a free turn to hit my set, you know? Yeah. I mean, I know you could be aggressive, but it could be a guy, you know, uh, and I, I quote this on the show often, but one of the very few things that Annie Duke right did right for me was she, in one of her books she talked about if somebody raises preflop and then checks the flop it's awfully fishy yeah and, and I, I, I was, right and I right? and I, I said that on the show many times so you know I'm sorry to keep recycling these things but it's just common you know sense that if a guy is confident in his hand and then he's not after a flop you know it's either he's got under pair to that missed it completely or he's got a massive hand now, and he doesn't want to lose yeah. you. He wants you to catch up. So, yeah, yeah, you know, and when you're in the small blind and you have the guts to raise like that, you probably are still good here. So I don't mind checking behind and seeing what he does in the turn. Yeah, and so here's the, the, the scary thing about that is that if we think that he hit this hard, we are pretty dead here. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because hitting it hard is a set, and there's only one set that we could catch up to here. Um, unless we go run around quads. So that's the other concern. So that, that there's two reasons for me to check here. Uh, one is, uh, that it'd be nice to get that free card to hit our set. And then two, that I'm worried that even if we hit that set, it's not good. It's not going to be good. So, uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, this, this does look all kinds of fishy here. So I'm going to check behind and, and see what the, what the turn does for us. Okay. All right, Hero says his check was weird, especially since I was correct. Uh, especially since if I was correct that he was starting to tilt. A tilting player doesn't resist bluffing or betting with a strong preflop hand that misses the flop. For example, Ace King or Jack Jack. So maybe he was trapping. Regardless, I was hoping to spike a set, and I'm not about to poke the bear, so I have to take the free card. Yeah. All right. Uh, the turn is the beautiful four of spades. So our board is queen of diamonds, nine of clubs, tray of diamonds, four of spades, and now the small blind bets thirty dollars into that ninety dollar pot. 
Well, it's only a sweet card if we are confident he didn't hit a set of queens or nines on us. But um, I, I like a call here. I like a call here. If you raise and he's only got ace-king, he's going to fold. But if he has ace-king and he hits his ace or his king on the river, he's going to get another bet out of him. And at least you could try to get more money out of him on the, on the river uh, if he checks to you. But in this case, if he did hit a massive set, you know, I mean... There's obviously over $100 in this pot, so it's a pretty decent pot already. It's not like you're losing that much value by checking here. I mean, maybe you are. Maybe the guys who really know what they're doing are telling, us, telling me I'm foolish here. But if this guy missed, and now he's saying, oh, okay, or my jacks might be good, and then we'd raise him here, he's going to fold. So why not give him another streak to bluff at, or if he has ace-king, another streak to hit? You know? Yeah. Well, yeah, and if I'm if I'm really dead here, if I'm up against a set of queens or nines, which we we believe is possible, right? I want to lose as as little as I can on this hand. So at this point, the maximizing value for me is losing as little as I can. I know that sounds weird, but that's 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 the value here, I think. Um, So uh, this thirty dollars, I'm quite comfortable calling that. And then, you know, let him make another shot on the river. And, and if he has a big hand, theoretically, he's going to bet small again. He's going to try to get that value bet in, right? And that's that's how you lose the minimum. And if we happen to win, that's great. So, Cool. All right. Uh, our hero says, well, hello there, little guy. Uh, well, I can't rule out queen, queen. This is too good of a situation not to extract value. Okay, so opposite opinion <laughs> on what value is here. So. Uh, if he was trapping with ace-queen, ace-ace, or king-king, uh, I was sure he'd call a nice size raise, especially for me. I raised to $105. Hmm. Small blind calls, uh, making the pot 300 All right, so the fact that he called is interesting as well, too, which doesn't, in my mind, does not uh, eliminate queen-queen. Right. I agree. Uh, you know, if he has queen queen now, I don't know what he does in the river. Does he check? Uh, I'm hoping that you uh, hang yourself and miss out on uh, some value there. I don't know, but I think I think if he's trapping us, he bets the river now no matter what because he thinks that we're so confident with our hand. He, he's got to know now what we have. I, I would think he has to know that we're not drawing. We wouldn't raise with a draw with one card to come. So he has to know we have a hand that we're confident in. I think he bets the river no matter what comes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, you'd have to, I think. So yeah. Yeah. it's just interesting why he hasn't raised here. So I guess we'll see what he has. So, all right. The river is the king of diamonds. So our final board, queen of diamonds, nine of clubs, tray of diamonds, four of spades, king of diamonds, and our opponent checks. Um, uh, you know, I'm checking behind because now it's, it's it's. I mean, you could represent the flush, you know. You could make it, but the raise on the turn doesn't. Be, it belies that story. So yeah, yeah, you know, this guy could have hit a set of kings now, and he thinks we're going to bet because we were so confident. I don't. I know what I really. I'm going to get probably flamed for this someday. But I mean, a straight got there, a flush got there, a bigger set got there. You know, um, I, I don't mind checking behind it with a set, and then they're going to be like, "What are you doing checking behind there?" But it looks brilliant if the guy was slow playing. King King there or Queen Queen earlier, so sure, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm quite happy with this pot and what it is, and, I, and I'm not interested in losing more money because um, there's multiple ways we could lose now. So right, and that's what you said earlier. You wanted to mitigate losses, which sounded weird, but now it makes perfect sense. It's a big enough yeah. pot to check behind. I mean, 300 bucks for pocket fours. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. 
All right. Uh, our hero says, I don't love this card since King King was one of his possible holdings, although now less so with another king on the board. Also, Jack-10 is one of, is one of my possible holdings, so this card could scare him. I still want to extract value, but I think a big bet might scare him away, so I choose to bet a little smaller. I bet 125. Mm. He calls quickly and shows two red aces, and we win yeah. a five hundred and fifty dollar pot. Yeah, it, it had to be. It had to be aces, kings, or queens. There was nothing else it could have been. I mean, it could have been ace king, but I doubt it. The guy wouldn't have called raises on the turn for that. So it had to be aces. Um, the interesting thing is, like, let's let's just revisit the hand real quick. So on the flop, so pre-flop we make it fifteen, he makes it forty-five, which is what you would have done with aces probably. On the flop, he checks. That's the part I don't get. It's a wet board. Jack-10 is open-ended. Diamonds are got nine outs. Why are you checking your aces there? And it ends up costing him money. If he makes a decent bet, like he's supposed to, the fours go running and hiding. And instead, he costs himself a ton of money. Now, the, the, the turn, sure, he bets decent amount, but it's still not enough, really, considering he missed a street of betting. You know, I would have bet half the pot at least... Um, and he bet 30. Then he just calls. When we raise, at that point, you're confident. You know, at that point, they're all unders. Why are you Why are you just calling, you know, with aces? If you're confident and you're going to call a bet on the end of 100 and something, why are you not re-raising or raising on the, re-raising on the turn or after you check, you know, or whatever? Or why yeah. aren't you betting more on the turn? I, I, when we raise, why isn't he re-raising? So I, I just don't get it. The guy played it really poorly, I thought. That, the flop bet was the whole thing. He should have just bet. He should have been happy to take down a $90 pot and moved on with his aces. You know, they say that all the time. You either lose a huge pot or win a small one with aces. He should have won a small yeah. one. Yeah, I mean, I think people get so wrapped up with aces and thinking that it's impenetrable and that you're you're being cute and trapping here. But when I have aces, I'm playing them fast because, I mean, they're like on that flop, I mean, we, we very well could have had king-queen or something, right? Yep. So yeah. when we when he checks to us and we check behind, then we pick up our king or another queen on the turn, then we're dead. So, yeah, you definitely have to bet out there. Um, and, and, you know, you, you got the goods, you got aces. So I'm like, you're not scared if somebody calls and raises necessarily there, but you got to get the pressure on. Make somebody pay to, to pay to catch up to you. Plus, it's such Plus a it's wet such board. A board. I mean, think about this. Would a yeah. button player... Would a button player with Jack-10 raise pre-flop with a limper only and blinds behind him? Absolutely. Would he do it with a suited ace of diamonds? Of course he would. So now you've got all those hands that are potentially... thats If you think about all the straight outs and all the flush outs that are possible to beat your aces, right? you need to protect that hand, and he checks. Yeah. And he yeah. checks. And so even the hands that I just mentioned would check behind for a free turn to hit any of those outs. So you still can put him on that on the turn, and he still doesn't bet enough. Now, of course, in the turn, we catch up to him, but he doesn't know that. He, and he only bets 30. Yeah, the guy played it poorly, you know, and we yeah, got lucky. Imagine Jack, uh, Jack 10 of diamonds on this. Yes, exactly. Okay. So much, so much danger there. I mean, on those aces, I'm, I'm betting pot. I'm betting at least 90 on that flop and then keeping it up. Now, what he did do is... Um, uh, I think he he was more cautious after we raised there, and he thought um, he kind of sniffed it out. I think a little bit, didn't he? Yeah, but why did he uh, call on the river? Yeah, he yeah. Check so I think that was it. So when I was talking about let's let's 
you know, lose as little as we can. I think he was actually doing that in this hand rather than us. Yeah. I think at that point he, he realized, Hey, my aces may not be good here. So I'm going to check call, check call. And so he was comfortable check calling two thirty. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't have been, but you know, at least he, you know, it, he lost the minimum here because he, he let us set the price. So, I mean, I, I don't know here in this scenario, if he would have bet, uh, well, I mean, he bet. Yeah, we raised right on the turn. So, yeah, I don't know. Um, the, the, the big thing was the crying call on the river. I mean, there's no real because yeah, on the turn he bet out thirty. We raised to 105, and he called. So at that point, I think he sniffs it out that he might be behind, and he's that's why he check calls the river. But seriously, you can't get married to aces, and if you do have the aces, Scott said it right on the head. He said. Play them fast. You have to play aces fast. You know, you can't slow play them because you're going to let them catch up. Imagine if he just bets the turn. We're nowhere there to hit the turn on the four, the four, you know, the set. That's just a terrible, terrible play. And our, you know, our buddy was lucky. Good for you, John. And really at the end, I mean, the only thing he could beat with those aces is the bluff. I mean, there's no realistic hand. I mean, the the best you can hope for is give us the king queen you were talking about, right? Yeah. Um, and even that, you can't beat that. No, ace queen. So, yeah, I think ace queen is really the only hand that we could have played that way, where you know we we ace queen and we slow played it on the flop. But even then, if you had ace queen in position, you're betting that flop. So even that hand isn't likely. Yeah. So yeah, you're just betting a the bluff there. Really? And, yeah. Now we're down to a jack queen is the only legitimate hand there. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense at all. So yeah. 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 All right. Well, yeah. Okay. Well, thank you, John, for all those great hands. They were all fantastic. So, yeah, yeah. and uh, I want to apologize for our audio today. It's just it's terrible. My ec- I'm echoing in the background and everything, but something's happened with the internet somewhere. So we apologize for that. But uh, hey, you know what? You didn't pay for anything, so you know, every <laughs> once in a while, the free stuff's gonna suck. But we're we're sorry about that. <laughs> all right. So next week we'll have O'Malley back. I'm Chris Casenza, and I'm Skylock. We will see you at the table. Anti-Up is a production of antiupmagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at antiupmagazine.com. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network. Music Network.